In the German service, it's amazing how God puts these songs together because uh, one of the things I forgot to do this week is contact the band to let them know what I was going to be talking on. And yet here they've chosen songs that all have very much to do with the topic, and so I'm excited about that. Uh, God just comforts us, and God sings over us, and God you know, shows us His love time and time again. And this is the confidence that we have is that no matter what we're going through, no matter what circumstances we're in, there's a God, our God, um, who is always there with us. And today I want to talk to us about insecurity. And and there's a study, there's a number of studies that have actually been uh, out there that say that 95% of people struggle with insecurity. And so I'm speaking to the choir, in a sense, because we're all kind of in this, and I know I have mine, and, and I'm sure most of you have at least some area in your life. The reason I want to speak on this is because I think uh, sometimes we can literally be restricted from accomplishing things. We can, you know, be hindered from doing things that we know we should do. But the reason we don't do them is because we don't feel we measure up. We don't feel that we're capable of. You hear this often when people want to witness to someone or they want to talk to people about Christ. And they say, well, I, I can't. I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know the answers. Insecurity, insecurity. And so what's actually hindering them from speaking to someone isn't knowledge, isn't their ability, isn't even their desire. They want to. And they have enough. They have enough information. But they don't feel that they have it in them. Insecure. And so they don't. Sometimes insecurities can be little things. And sometimes they can be really big things. Sometimes it's little things like when you're, you know, boy meets girl. And you kind of think you like her. And you kind of think she might like you. And and you're not sure. And all the insecurities that come with that. I remember when Maria and I, we met in Bible college. And I always remember what she was wearing the first time I saw her. She had overalls on, brown overalls. A white shirt underneath. Big massive hair. She has short hair now compared to what she had back then. She was just like, whoo. When she walked in, I saw her and I noticed. Now apparently she already noticed me like months before, but anyway, I'm just, you know, hard to miss. I looked like a serial killer when I showed up at Bible college because of the way I had to shave my head and all that, so she noticed me right away. But I remember we just started getting to know each other and we would go on these, you know, special friends dates. How many of you have done the special friends dates? Wow, so we're the only ones, eh? The rest of you are like, what is a special friend, you know? But anyway, we, didn't, we weren't dating, so we, you know, we wouldn't say we're going on a date as boyfriend, girlfriend. We just went on special date, special friends kind of things. And, and I remember we, we would go to these places, and she'd be bumping into me, because she already had the hots for me like crazy. And, uh, and uh, she's in Vancouver, so I can say what I want. And we're not live, so she, later on by that time I will have told her, well, they, you know, they told me to say that. But, um, you know, and, and she'd be bumping into me. And I remember one time we went to a hotel. Okay, let me finish the story before you go, whoa, what? Hotel. We went to a hotel lobby. It's the Fort Gary Hotel in Winnipeg. And she loves this place. And she's like, Ike, I want to show you the hotel. I want to show you this lobby. And it's amazing. And, and so we went there. And, and, you know, and finally, you know, you, you kind of get the mood and all oh, rich people around and all that. And we're poor college students, at least I was. But I finally, I had enough in me to say, I think this is the moment. This is where I'm going to reveal my heart to this woman. And so I shared with her, I said, Maria, you know, I just want you to know, to me, you're becoming more than just, you're more than just a friend. It's deeper than that for me. And, uh, you know, and I just kind of, you know, said a few more words like that. And she said, and I'll never forget what she said. She said, me too, like, oh, but I don't want to date you. And I was like, what? 
You know, it's one of those things that us men just cannot understand about women. It's like, oh, I love you, but go away. You know, it's one of those kind of things. I couldn't quite get it, you know, and I didn't know what to do after that. I didn't really know how to interact with her. And you know, oh, all the, all the insecurities and all the different things that came with it. So I knew she had the hots for me. I knew she liked me. Okay, the hots may be a little exaggerated, but I knew she liked me. But here I was totally insecure of where our relationship was going to go because she didn't want to date me. But I obviously did something right because not only did I get to date her, I married her and we spent our honeymoon first night at that hotel and we definitely went further than just the lobby, I promise you that. So, um, good times. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Some of you got it, some of you are still thinking. I want to look today at a man in scripture who is probably the most insecure person that you'll find in the Bible. His name is Saul. And Saul is an example of how one's low opinion of himself and his lack of faith led him to pride and ultimately in his own demise. Let's begin in 1 Samuel chapter 9. That's where we're going to pick up the story and we're going to walk through uh, parts of the life of Saul. The children of Israel have come to Samuel the prophet 1 Samuel chapter 9, they come to Samuel the prophet and they say, we want a king like all the other nations. And even though God didn't like this idea, even though God was offended and he was hurt because, well, hurt, he didn't like the idea that, that the, here the people no longer wanted him to be their king, no wanted him to be over them, they wanted an earthly king. So even though God didn't like this, he allowed it to happen. And so God anoints Saul to be the king of Israel. And I'll explain a little bit how the story plays out. The very first thing that we get, find out about Saul, is a description of him. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. It says that he was an impressive young man, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. So here he was, he was a big guy. This wasn't just some you know, ordinary fellow who just kind of blended into the crowd, or who wasn't noticed. When Saul walked around, I guaranteed... Guarantee you, people immediately said, Whoa, there's Saul. I, oh man, I keep forgetting how big that guy is. So Saul was a big guy. And so Samuel, and Saul is out looking for his donkeys, and, and through this, God obviously sets this all up that Samuel and Saul are going to bump into each other. And so Samuel informs Saul, This is what God's plan is for your life. God is going to choose you, God has chosen you to be the very first king of Israel. Now think about that for a moment. If I was to come up to you, or if someone was to come up to you and say, here's God's plan for your life. You are going to have a privilege that nobody else is going to have. You are going to be put in a position that no one else has. What would be your response? You would think you'd be like, wow, really? Like, I didn't, wow, God thinks that highly of me, and God thinks I can do it, and unbelievable. But not Samuel. I mean, not Saul. Saul's reply was this. Verse 21 of chapter 9, Saul answered, But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing? An interesting response. The first thing Saul, Saul does is he points out all the reasons for why God and Samuel must be wrong. So even though Saul appears insecure in his stature because he's such a big guy, he actually is very, very insecure about who he is. 
All he can do is point out his negatives. I'm a Benjamite. I'm from the smallest tribe. And and in that tribe, there are all these clans, these families. and, And my family is the least. It's kind of like saying, well, I come from over there, so why would someone select me? Why would God choose me? Samuel then holds, you know, because con- continues on with this, he doesn't give in to Saul's doubts. He, he can, holds a ceremony. And at this ceremony, they're going to introduce Saul to the nation as their king. But the problem is Saul is nowhere to be found. Chapter 10, verse 21, they brought all the clans together. They brought all the tribes together. And this is the way they would choose a person. We remember this from Joshua. He brought all the clans together and they would go through each, each tribe. And then once the tribe was chosen, then they would pick the clan. And once the clan was chosen, they would go down to the family and ultimately down to the individual. That's the way God would show either who's guilty or who's, what His will is for a certain individual. And so that's what they've done here. And they brought, verse 21, they brought forward the, the tribe of Benjamin, clan by plan, clan. The Matri clan was chosen. Finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, they could not find him. So they inquired further of the Lord. Okay, they're like, whoa, I thought you picked this guy, and so how come, where is he? Has the man come here yet, they asked God. And the Lord answered, and the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Here he is, his big moment. The President of the United States. The president of the... uh, Nobody. Thank you. Someone got it. You know, and and there's nobody's responding. Like You know, it's kind of like the, um, uh, you know, big introduction. You expect the guy to come bouncing up on stage and, yeah, here I am. And and nothing. Crickets. Nobody. And they go looking for this guy. Well, where is he? Well, he's hiding among the baggage. Too ashamed or too afraid to come out. Now, you might say, well, that's humility. Saul was just being humble. Well, let me read you the definition of humility. Humility means to be, have a modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance and rank. Insecurity, rather. Insecurity means this, a lack of confidence or assurance or self-doubt. So insecurity is what Saul was displaying here. If modesty was a thing, he would have come out and said, "Ah, oh, you guys shouldn't have. Thank you so much. I really okay. Well, thank you, and I will do my. You know, I will serve the Lord as best I can." Insecurity, no, you go hide in the luggage. Well, Saul does become king. This is God's plan for his life, and as Saul steps into this role as the leader of the nation of Israel, he begins to make tragic mistake after tragic mistake. One thing goes to another. And he, all of these are rooted in his deep insecurity and how he tries to cover up those insecurities. Chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. Here we find out Saul by now, he's 30 years old when he became king. And he's going into battle and, and he's waiting for Samuel to show up to make sacrifice and to give guidance from the Lord concerning the battle. And so he's supposed to wait for Saul, Samuel, to show up. Saul's supposed to wait for Samuel to show up and to make the sacrifice and to give guidances for the battle. But Saul becomes afraid. Samuel's a little late in showing up, and so Saul becomes afraid, and so he decides to go ahead and make the sacrifice for himself, which is something that only certain people were allowed to do, and Saul definitely was not one of those people. Chapter 13, verse 11 
Samuel arrives and this is what he says to him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling a Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines have come down against me at Gilgal. I have, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Saul's greatest fear in this situation was that he would look bad in the eyes of his people and the eyes of his enemies. He displayed no confidence in God concerning the matter. Rather, he gave in to fear of failure and the need for public approval. He was afraid of being humiliated, so he took matters into his own hands. Insecurity usually leads to pride, which is what happened to Saul in order to cover up his mistake. When Samuel confronted him about what he had done, Saul's pride leaped to the foreground, leaped into action to cover up the real issue. And so instead of addressing the real issue, he blamed Samuel. And he says that you did not come at the set time. So that's what the real problem was. You, Samuel, you were the reason this all happened. You said you were going to come at a certain time and you didn't. Pride will convince us that it is our best interest to make ourselves the victim through blame when confronted with our own moral failures. Isn't this why when you approach someone, you say, hey, I saw you do this, or you know, I'm not sure if you should do that, they immediately become the victim. Well, you know, it's what happened, and, and here's what happened, and here's why, and, 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 you know, and I, I wasn't having a good day, and, and yeah, and I, you know, my whatever, and the excuses, excuses, and they become the victim immediately as a way to cover up for their moral failure. You see this often. Saul's next mistake happened in Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 15. The Lord has given the Amalekites to the people of Israel. These people were known for their cruelty and for being cowards. But God has given the Amalekites into the hands of the Israel army. God made it abundantly clear to, to the, uh, Saul that they were not supposed to spare anyone's life. They were supposed to go and wipe these people out, all out. They were not supposed to take any plunder whatsoever from the Amalekites. However, in chapter 15, verse 9, here's what happened. But Saul and the army spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. They were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. And again, Samuel shows up on the scene to confront Saul about what he's done. Verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he, was told, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There, he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, it's interesting, the first thing Saul feels he needs to do is speak. The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, then what is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, listen to this. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the sheep, the best of the sheep and the cattle, to sacrifice to the Lord our God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Insecurity 
almost always, if not always, tries to justify what's happened. Well, there's a reason for why we did what we did. There, there's a, there's a, you should, you, you'll understand once I explain it. The deception of pride will try to convince us that our selfish motives are for God's benefit. So when things don't really go the way we are supposed to, or when, when we didn't do what we were supposed to do, and instead of owning up, our insecurity will say, well, it's for God that I did this. I was speeding to get to church. <laughs> that kind of idea. I stole to give to the poor. I was doing it for God. I love Samuel's response to Saul in verse, chapter 15, verse 16. Samuel says, stop. Stop. Just, oh, knock it off, Saul. I'm, uh, you're not talking to some child. You're talking to a prophet. Stop. Then he says, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And listen to Saul. He's like, tell me. You know, like, okay. Like, sure, tell me. Bring it. Samuel verse, says this, verse 17. Although you were once small in your own eyes, it's as if though Samuel saying, Remember when you were looking for donkeys? You remember that? It wasn't that long ago. Remember when you were hiding in the luggage because you didn't think you were worth anything? Remember when you were still a little servant for your dad and and you weren't anybody special? You were tall, you were all that, but you were really nobody. Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He sent you on a mission saying, and here's a description again of exactly what they were supposed to do. Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Saul just can't give in. Verse 20 says, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and then he completely contradicts himself and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Listen to Samuel's response, verse 22. But Samuel replied, and I think this is so important for us today. Does the... Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like sin of, uh, the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. Samuel goes right to the root of the problem. He wants to remind Saul that he is small in his own eyes. And to show him that he had no business trusting in his own abilities. Because God had anointed, God had empowered him to be king of Israel. It wasn't dependent on him what kind of king he would be if all he would do is be obedient Insecurity destroyed the reign of Saul. I believe Saul could have been a great king. Saul could have maybe been the best king ever. But insecurity 
caused him to do things that he wanted to do. Saul was attempting... Let me back up. For chapter 15, verse 24, finally he, he gets to the root of why he did it, and Saul explains himself. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. Listen to this. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Insecurity. Do you understand that Saul could have taken and had any soldier executed that brought back any plunder from the Amalekites. Saul had the authority, Saul had the power that if he would have seen someone bring something back from the Amalekites, he could have done exactly what Joshua did when they had finished the battle at Ai. And he could have gone through the tents, he could have gone through and he could have found the thing and he could have expelled that entire family for what they did. But Saul was afraid of the people. He gave in to them. He was afraid of the soldiers. He needed the approval of them. He was too insecure. Verse 25, I beg you now, I now beg you, forgive my sins and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king of Israel. You also see this a little bit, the insecurity when David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath. Here's this mighty man who comes out every day cursing the name of Israel, cursing the name of God. And you kind of get a sense from the story that where's Saul? He's in the tent, hiding again. Instead of being out there with the men and encouraging them, at least you read nothing of it. And ultimately what Saul does is he allows a 17-year-old boy to go and fight the battle for him. Which causes David to become a hero. And ultimately, David becomes a hero among the nation of Israel. And Saul becomes so paranoid of David that he constantly tries to kill him. Saul's insecurity ended up destroying him. Saul was attempting to win the approval of his peers as a remedy for the insignificance he felt inside. I want you to catch this. What Saul was trying to do on his own, we see that God was doing behind this, was trying to do behind the scenes for him. All Saul needed to do was humble himself and live and act in obedience to God. So in this story, you see how insecurity completely destroyed this man's reign as king. So what about us? Do you and I, I know I do, do we have insecurities in our lives that are hindering us? Are we insecure about even admitting that we're insecure? I want to go through a list of signs of insecurity. And, and I started making my own list, and it wasn't looking all that polished. And so I looked it up online, and I found this incredible list from a website called GeniusTypes.com. And so if you want to go find it yourself, you can, because I didn't write them all down. And on this list, I just found a really great, complete list, I think a really complete list of the signs of insecurities that we often have, or the signs that we have that we may be insecure. One of the signs of insecurity is defensiveness. Insecure people tend to be very insensitive to critique and respond with defensiveness. They aren't comfortable enough with themselves to accept that they may have a flaw. Okay, so let's just pick on... A shortstop in baseball, it's baseball season, so if one of you shortstops got reamed out this week, I'm sorry, I'm not, I didn't hear about it, I'm just saying. 
So here's a shortstop, and, and he keeps letting balls go by. And so finally the coach comes out or the other players come out and say, you know what, you, you got to be getting those balls. You have to catch those. you got to get in front of that. you got you, you got to be able to stop those. Shortstop's such an important spot. You have to get those. And so you critique this guy. And what do they do? Ah, oh, the sun was in my eye and, you know, my wife hasn't been feeding me and, you know, and I got this new glove and I can't move and, and these shoes aren't very comfortable and, and they, you know, they just defensive, defensive. There's a reason why I failed. And they want everybody to know it wasn't my fault. Something else happened and that's why it happened. And it wasn't me. You see, they're not secure enough in themselves to receive criticism. Is that you? Has your boss ever gone up to you and said, hey, you know, and you're, whoa, 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 you know, it's the other people. It's not me. I, I'm doing my best. It's those other people. Defensiveness is a sign of insecurity. Excessive joking. This is a coping me- mechanism for insecurity. So the person constantly jokes. And I'm not saying that having a sense of humor is bad. Definitely not. So if you're a joker, hey, joke away. But just make sure that you're not doing this to cover up. Very often where people make jokes is about their appearances. And so instead of admitting that they don't necessarily like the way they appear or they're not, you know, whatever, so they'll make jokes of themselves and they'll make fun of themselves. And then everybody's laughing and then they don't have to deal with it. So excessive joking is often a sign of insecurity. Don't you all go now to a comedian and say, you're all just insecure. All you stand up, which most actually are. Self-promotion is another sign of insecurity. Insecure people tend to talk about themselves constantly. It's as if though they feel they have to prove themselves. Self-promotion is the paramount to overcoming comp- uh, to overcome compensation of self-doubt. So you have to promote yourself. So this is the person who will always one-up your story. You know those people. Oh yeah, well you should see what I did. So you make up something like, hey, I ran through town naked the other day. And they'll immediately be like, well, I ran through town naked backwards. And and you're just like, what? Okay. They immediately have to up the story. I love being around people like this because you just start telling outrageous stories. And sure enough, they can always outdo yours. Then you look at them and say, I was lying. And they're like, well, mine was true. You know, (laughs) self-promotion. They have to always, always promote themselves because somehow they fear that if they don't, we will look down on them. Materialistic is another sign. This is the person, this is a very dangerous coping mechanism. This person is so insecure that they buy things that they can't afford in order to show off. People like this tend to run up their credit cards and get themselves into big trouble. Why? Because if they have the latest and greatest, you're going to think something special of them. So they got to have the nicest car. they got to have the latest, latest gadgets. they got to have all these things. And this is their way of coping. This is their way of showing people, look, I'm important because look at the expensive things I have. Which sadly often means incredible debt. They can't enjoy silence, bullying, overly authoritative. This is one I want to pick on a little bit because sometimes these really play themselves out in church. Here's a person who has a, has a, has a job and, and maybe isn't appreciated very much at their job and, and their friends don't appreciate them all that much and then they come into church and, and then they're given a position of authority in the church. 
And oh, look out. Because now they're in charge. And this person is overly authoritative, is overly rigid with their position because they want to somehow prove their worth to other people. And sadly, all they do is drive them away. Overly competitiveness. And that's against being competitive. But this is a person when they strike out, they throw the bat. Or like one situation I saw, the guy probably had two, $300 bat beating it against a post. Because he just could not handle that he failed. I played with a guy one time on a team. Every time he made a mistake, he rolled his ankle or something and he would hold his elbow or he hold his knee. He always had to make a dramatic, a dramatic scene. Why? So that we would all focus on that and not focus on the fact that he failed. Because he wanted to disguise his failure. There are two that are unique, mostly to men. First one is irrationally jealous. This is the man who is constantly worried about his girlfriend leaving him or his wife leaving him. And he's extremely jealous whenever he sees her with anybody else. They could be, have a converse, they could be having a conversation and totally in public, but he needs to know every detail of the conversation. This manifests itself in constant questioning, mistrust, and altercations with other men. Every time this woman... His wife or his girlfriend is in, around other people. He needs to know exactly what's going on. Often a sign of a very insecure man. Abuse. Abuse is a very is where insecurity in a relationship becomes extremely destructive. This person is so insecure about themselves. Instead of loving people and drawing them into a relationship with him, he grabs by force. And he forces people to do the things he wants. In women, two signs of insecurity, mostly just towards women, is that they stay in an abusive relationship. We've all seen the woman, we may all have heard of the female who has one abusive relationship after another. Every boyfriend they seem to pick is an abusive boyfriend. And the funny thing is, you would think they would learn, but what these abusive relationships actually ha happen to do is, they cause her to believe all the more that the reason all of my relationships are abusive is because I'm the problem. This is the wife who will stay in an abusive relationship for years and years and years because she thinks it's her that's causing the problem. She doesn't have the... She's not secure enough and confident enough in herself to say, I can step out of this. I am worth more than this. And so she will stay. And then the last one is overly sexual. This is the young woman who begins to understand the power of sexuality. Men especially are strongly influenced. And so this woman has learned that I have power over men and I can get attention from men by being overly sexual. And this is a way to disguise their insecurity. So how do we deal with insecurity? Time's running out, but I want to go through this real quick. In my working with people over these years, I have found that there are two main ways to deal with insecurity. Number one is you have to get to the root of the insecurity. Why do you feel insecure? And the second one is that you have to add new positive and current information. But I want to go back real quick. Dealing with insecurity, the first one is get to the root. And in my working with people, I've discovered that there are three key 
roots that most people have, or at least they have one of them. One of the roots is this, what I call faulty theology. This is the person who has developed a belief system that God does not view them the way God actually views them. They have an inappropriate, they have a faulty theology. They do not properly understand God's love for them. So they sing these songs that we sang this morning, how, how, you know, the love of God, and they sing these other songs, but they would say to themselves, that's true for everybody but me. I'm not lovable. God doesn't love me. God couldn't love me. And so they have a faulty theology. And so when they get to the root, and all of a sudden they discover this, and they begin to put new information in there, often these people begin to flourish and become far more confident. The second one, second key root is faulty information. This is the person who has grown up and they've always been told certain things. They've always been told that they're useless. They've been told that they're dirty, they're ugly, they're nobody, they're, they're of no good to anybody. And they've heard this over and over and over and they believe this faulty information. My working with people, I've sat with people from teens to 50 years old. And I'd ask them, well, what's your view of yourself? And they'll tell me all these, these words. And then I say, when's the last time someone called you that? Did your husband say that to you? Did your wife say that to you? Did your kids say that to you? Did your friends say that to you? No. Well, who's the last person that said that to you? And very often, well, way, way back over here, that's when it happened. And yet they still hold on to that faulty information. And that becomes their definition of themselves. The third key is experiences. So they had a really bad experience at one time in their life. And that experience is now what they base their view of themselves on. Maybe they were abused. A failure, big failure. They wanted to accomplish something and that didn't go right. Massive trauma. A death in the family. And that experience is somehow said to them, you're not worth anything. So the first thing you need to deal with, first thing you need to do to deal with insecurity is you need to get to the root. And then the second one is you need to now add new, positive, and current information. I want you to picture it as literally rebooting a computer. You take all the old, rebuilding an engine, rebuilding something that you understand. And you take all the junk, you take all that's not working, and you get rid of it, and you put in new you have to put in new, positive, and current information. And I want to just say to you, this will not be easy. This isn't something that you're going to do by accident. You may even need someone to come and sit with you and guide you through this. But here's what you're going to definitely have to do. You are going to have to make a deliberate decision to change your view of yourself to the view that God has for you. So if you've always been told or you've always believed, or you had a bad experience, you need to now say, well, what's happening now? My, my husband doesn't think that way of me. My friends don't think that way of me. My church doesn't think that way of me. The guys on the team don't think that way of me. Why would I continue to believe something from way back then? And you're going to have to make a deliberate decision to say, no, I will change my view. So what's God's view of you? And the band can come up. I want to read to you three quick verses. And the first one, if you're struggling a lot with insecurity, maybe this is your verse for you today. 
Sephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, it says. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I remember when our kids were tiny and, you know, and we would rock the crib and you're like, please go to sleep already, go to sleep already. And then you would start singing over them. The devil is a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I... You all know the song, right? I know you all want to join in. That's not the closing song, by the way. Um, you know, and you would do this and you would do this. Why? Because you want them to go to sleep. You want to comfort them. And I would do this until I knew the song inside out and everything. And finally they would doze off. Would it be a comfort for you, some of you tonight, or this morning, to know that today God is singing over you a song of delight because He loves you, because you're so special to Him. Genesis chapter 126 says, Let us make man in our image and in our own likeness. And then he gives instructions to what they will do. And then verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. You weren't an accident. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says that God breathed into the nostril of the man and he became a living thing. So what gives you life, what gives you breath, is the kiss of God. You weren't just spoken into existence. You were crafted. You are loved. In 1 John chapter 4, 9 and 10, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for us and for our sins. You are loved. You are loved. So if you're dealing with insecurity and it's holding you back and accomplishing the things that God wants you to do, I want you to deal with these three roots. And I want you to put new, positive, and current information into your life. There's a scripture filled with the promises of who God is and how God loves you. We must choose to believe those things of ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for creating us. And I thank you, Father, that you have a plan for each one of our lives. And I want to pray for each one of us in this room. God, in those areas where we maybe struggle with believing the best about ourselves. And we're hindered in doing the things that you've called us to do because we don't see ourselves the way you see us. Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would overcome. That we would break through. And that our view of ourselves would be based on how you view us, O oh Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.